along with many of you and many throughout the world, I've been thinking about vaccinations, vaccinations against the coronavirus. And I feel enormously privileged to have had my first injection already. The thought that everyone in America who wants an injection will have been able to have one by the end of May is enormously encouraging as we think about what it's going to take for us to be able to, to regather safely in greater numbers than we're able to do at the moment. But along with all of this hope, there are also a plethora of articles uh, talking about vaccine inequity and how uh, first world countries are often hoarding, perceived as hoarding the vaccines and make it harder for others to get. Uh, there are inequities within our own country in terms of uh, continuing health, and I'm pleased that the District of Columbia prioritizes uh, zip codes where there are a greater number of people who are, at, who, are at, who are at risk for the virus. This is not a case where the cure is worse than the ailment, but it serves as a reminder that there's still a lot of work to be done if we are to ever to see a more just society uh, at home and mutually beneficial relationships across the globe. Biblical scholar uh, N.T. Wright calls justice, uh, along with other themes like love and beauty and freedom, he calls justice a signpost, but a broken signpost. He has a book called Broken Signposts, uh, How Christianity Makes Sense of the World. And in it, he writes, the instinct for justice runs deep. You don't have to have a master's degree in philosophical ethics to know what it's all about. It's a universal human sense. That isn't right. That something needs to be done to put it right. And a few paragraphs later, he writes, he writes this. In other words, we find that justice serves as a signpost pointing toward what is foundational or essential to our lives. And at the same time, we find that it's a broken signpost. For no matter how hard we strive to live up to the, the ideal, we fail often in ways that create more injustice. As with the other themes in the book, he takes the Gospel of John as a sort of conversation partner. And in a reading of John, the signpost of, of, of justice, battered though it may be, especially through the kind of kangaroo courts which pass for Jesus' trials, this broken justice is finally put to rights in John's eyes when a new creation is accomplished and that new creation is accomplished in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. In our reading from John chapter 3 today, John points to the crucifixion and the resurrection uh, as Jesus being lifted up and exalted. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. I'll get back to vaccines in a bit. But let's spend a minute with this extraordinary reference to the book of Numbers and the story of Moses lifting up a snake. Uh, lifting up a snake, what, which might seem like a totem or a symbol with, with magical properties that we would not expect at all to be pleasing to Yahweh. The story in Numbers, which we heard, is when the, further, when the former slaves who were in the wilderness uh, were there, they complained bitterly and frequently. We don't have enough food. God gives them manna. We don't have water. The water comes out of the rock and so on. And, and in this instance, something different happens. They're not just complaining against Moses. 
They are speaking against Moses and against God. And that, that's for the first time. So God sends fiery serpents, seraphs, um, uh, venomous snakes, and they, they bite people and people start to die. And the people realize that their blasphemy has consequences and, and dire consequences of life and death at that. And they repent. And they come to Moses and Moses prays for them. And God tells him to make a copper snake and put it on a stick and hold it up. Uh, and the people who gaze on that snake will find themselves healed. You might very well think that this is uh, an idol. And in fact, 500 years later, it's still around and King Hezekiah realizes there are people worshiping it and has it broken in two and destroyed because it had become a sign of, uh, sign of uh, that, that which was venomous became a sign of the anti-venom and of healing. The healing, of course, was a gift of Yahweh. And as people lifted their eyes to the snake on a pole, so at best they would have seen something like an icon, both of the wrath of God and the love of God. And so back to Jesus' intriguing conversation with Nicodemus in the dead of night and the theme of light overcoming the darkness in the world. Here on the fourth Sunday in Lent, both Good Friday and Easter are being foreshadowed in what is Jesus' first prediction of his passion in this gospel. Why must the Son of Man be lifted up? Why must the Son of Man be lifted up? So that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Look at the serpent and live. Believe in the Son of Man and live eternally. Barbara Brown Taylor has written, if the people believed that the bronze serpent was responsible for their cure, then that snake was an idol and Hezekiah was right to snap it in two. But if looking up at the serpent reminded the people to lift their hearts to God, then the snake was a sacrament. Looking up at it, they looked through it to their only physician, who alone was their health, their salvation and their cure. Well, just so with John's understanding of Jesus, the Son of Man offers not just life, but eternal life. And looking on Jesus is not enough. We must believe in Jesus. And for John, that's an action verb. It's not intellectual assent to, uh, to some propositions. It means being wholehearted for Jesus. It means believing, putting one's whole trust in God's grace and love in a way that makes a fundamental difference to how we live in the world. Eternal life is not, in John's, when John talks about eternal life, he's not talking about pie in the sky when you die. It's about quality of life today. And I try and get at this when I talk about abundant life as the promise of the gospel. The promise and possibility of abundant life, I'm trying to get at God's, John's intent when he talks about eternal life. And so back to vaccines. This is not true of the coronavirus coronavirus vaccines, but older virus vaccines often worked by injecting uh, just, just enough uh, pathogen for us to be able to develop antibodies. Just enough, uh, in, in older vaccines, the venomous snake, in a sense, is also the source of the antivenom, a source of healing. In a similar kind of move, John is suggesting that Jesus' death will become the means to abundant life. The why of Jesus' death, why is it 
set up this way is answered in one of the most beloved and famous verses in all of scripture. Why did Jesus have to die? Because God so loved the world that God gave Jesus so that everyone who believes may not perish, but may have abundant life. God so loved the world that God gave Jesus so that everyone who believes may not perish, but may have abundant life. So as Holy Week and Easter approach, thank God for vaccines. Thank God for the promise of a renewal of life in some form when we can regather safely beyond lockdowns. But keep lifting your eyes to the cross. Keep looking past the cross to the source of life, to the source of healing, to the source of abundant life today and forever. For in in gazing on the cross in, in these last weeks in Lent, we can recognize anew the mystery of costly grace and Jesus' absolute integrity and how they're embodied in him and how they, by his choices, open the possibility for us of abundant life today, an abundant life in an ever more just world and abundant life forever in the world to come. I offer this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.